0: Well, good morning everyone. I just want to greet you and those who are watching online, we want to welcome you and we're so glad that we can gather in the name of Jesus as the body of Christ. And uh, just checking on homework, did anybody get Psalm 19 memorized? Would you stand up and give it to us? Okay, I didn't want to put you on the spot. But as you look at it, maybe you forgot to do it, we'll give you some grace. I encourage you, Psalm 19, memorize that. And also, this morning when I woke up and I stepped outside and just the The beauty that we had around us. God displays his beauty in different unique ways. Primarily in my wife, I see it. But anyways, uh, but outside we saw the beauty of just the trees. And I went up to just um, my antenna on my truck. I was like, man, just gorgeous how God just designs each thing. And then when you look at Psalm 19, the first six verses, it talks about the the greatness of God displayed in the heavens. And the glory of the Lord is, is all around us. But then again, Verse 7-14, through we have the beauty of the Lord displayed in His Word and how we need His Word. A couple announcements. We have a men's retreat coming up, so save the date, March 5th and 6th. It will be at Arrowhead, just as we've done in the past. So I encourage you men to mark that down. Get in your phone right now, March 5th and 6th. Arrowhead Bible Camp will be having our men's retreat there. And then the second announcement is that we have the Logic of God meeting. It's going to be a Zoom meeting, so we've got a link for that. Contact the church if you want to get that link and stuff like that. So that's this Thursday is the Logic of God Zoom Bible study with the Ravi Zacharias study, so we're excited about that. This morning I'm excited because Pastor Aaron's going to preach. And we are so blessed as a church to have a few pastors where some churches have one, and they kind of juggle a lot of stuff. i got friends who do that, but we are so fortunate, not just to have a few pastors, but listen this. Men who love God, who are excited about God, and, is one thing that's, that's said to me, contagious. We want people around us who are contagious about God and His greatness and the Word of God and all those things to spur us on to love and good deeds. And that's what we have with Aaron, and we're very blessed. So I'm going to have Aaron come up. I'm going to pray over Aaron and join me as uh, I pray over him as we get to dig into Acts chapter 2 again. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the gifts that you give in our church. And I am reminded of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where it talks about these gifts that we were given. And one of those gifts that we were given are pastors who teach us the Word of God. And Lord, I thank you for Aaron. I thank you for the calling you've given him and also the anointing to preach your Word. And I love how he loves families and children. And I love how he loves the Word and is excited about the Word. And I pray that you just allow him to use this message to pierce all of our hearts. So that we'd be drawn to you and want to be changed to be more like you as we walk with you. In this I pray in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Um, and he did, a, he did a great job going through that and um, our authority is found in scripture. It's not found in, in our president, in our constitution. It's not found in anything else. Our authority is found within scripture in the very words of God. And he did a great job um, preaching through that. I encourage you to go back and to listen to that sermon. And we're going through Acts uh, 2.42. Uh, and, and three key things that we find that the first church um, did and uh, found important in their walk with God. And I'm going to read that really quick. Um, we're not going to be there long, but I just wanted to share it with you. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread, and and to prayer. And as I said, Cody talked about how they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, and how we're supposed to devote ourselves to the teaching of the word. It's not, um, it's 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 a bunch of little things. It's it's being in a church body and and devotions, um, with God and quiet time with God. It's it's not something, uh, it's not one little thing we do. It's it's a bunch of of things where we find, um, the word of God. And we're going to actually skip to the last one today and uh, talk about prayer. And Pastor Cody will get into, into fellowship and the breaking of bread next week. But uh, today we will be talking about prayer. Um, in, in studying this um, in, in either Bible school or, or preparing for this sermon, I would say that prayer is probably the greatest privilege we have as Christians. Um... We get to enter the throne room boldly and ask things um, of our Father, uh, whatever that may be. We get to enter the throne room boldly, and that is such a great privilege as Christians. But um, I want to take a little poll. Who is satisfied with their prayer life? Raise your hand. Who is satisfied with their prayer life? Anybody? I know, I know I'm know. i not. Um, I do my best to be in prayer every day. Uh, come in every 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 morning uh, that I come into work, um, the first thing I do is I sit down and, and, and pray over my work for the day, and every time I sit maybe down to a meal at, we, we pray beforehand or maybe when someone's going into surgery or traveling, stuff like that but uh, I, I'm not satisfied with my prayer life. Um, and I think I don't think it's because of the lack of the amount I pray, but maybe the quality of, of how I pray, and um, it's not something we can, we can rehearse. Um, we're not supposed to repeat the Lord's Prayer every time we pray, although that's a great outline to follow. Um, but I want to I share with you some things uh, that I found throughout Scripture. We're actually going to be, in three different books of the Bible, examining um, some great prayers and some great um, outlines of how to pray. Um, but first, let's pray. Father, uh, we need to hear from you today. I ask that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. And I pray that we would leave here uh, renewed, uh, convicted, and encouraged because of what you have for us in your word. I pray that you would uh, grant me a clear speech and um, a clear mind as I present your word. And that um, our fellowship would be sweet this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and turn. Uh, the first passage we're going to be in is First uh, Kings, chapter 17 and 18. Uh, we're going to be f- kind of flying through, um, as I said, three major parts of Scripture. I'm not just focusing uh, on one, but we're going to be going through three different parts and three different things I have found, um, either in, in the lives. Of of uh, in a character from scripture or or in an outline of scripture. So, um, first uh, we need to set our scene. So uh, in First Kings chapter seventeen and eighteen, um, we we learn in chapter sixteen, the end of chapter sixteen, that uh, King Ahab has just come into power in Israel. And was Ahab a good king or a bad king? Bad king. In fact, it says later in the book that he was the most wicked king in Israel uh, that, that Israel had ever had. And um, he had married a, a wicked woman named Jezebel and they were leading the people astray following um, the gods Asherah and Baal and actually many others. And um, they, had, they had actually gutted Israel and gotten rid of as many prophets of the Lord as they could. And um, it, is, it is a dark time in, in the land of Israel that we find ourselves in. But there is a prophet who comes and his name is is Elijah. Now, I I assume most of you have heard of Elijah. We're going to be going through probably um, the the section that has made him most famous. Um, I don't understand. He's actually um, not included in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith. I don't understand um, why not, because he lived such a great life of faith, doing what the Lord asked for him, uh, living in the Word, and doing what God had laid out for him. And actually, um, Elijah was was so great a man that he actually um, was taken up in a fiery chariot, right, at the, end, at the end of his life when he passed on the torch to Elisha. He actually, he never died, he actually got to go up um, and, and meet uh, God that way. Now, uh, in, in chapter 17, we'll just start with verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be no dew nor rain these years except by my word. I don't know about you, uh, but that is a, I think that's a big claim. I don't care where you are in the world, but to go before a king of a country and to say there's not going to be any rain or even any dew on the ground until God gives me the word. That's a big claim. Um, that, that would not be something that would be easy to get up in front of someone and, and say, especially someone who, who really detests you. But Elijah goes, he goes ahead, and he makes this claim because God has told him to. And um, he, he, he quickly leaves the scene because Ahab is going to get mad, and he, he goes um, through the next, uh, the next two chapters. We see a great confidence In God that Elijah has and that's the first thing I want to remind us of this morning is to pray with confidence Elijah knows his God he knows what his God is going to do and so he goes and he prays with confidence and we'll just go through chapter 17 very quickly just kind of summarizing Um, it's to, it's something you should be familiar with. If you're not, I encourage you to read it. It's some great stories um, Elijah goes away from the king and he, he's kept um, by the Lord by a brook until the Lord tells him Okay, it's time to move on. You're gonna go to this widow and you're gonna ask her for bread and water and uh, there's no rain There's no rain. So uh, it's it's a famine and especially a widow would not have much and Elijah has to know this But he goes anyway because God has told him to. He's living in the words of God with confidence. And, and he goes and what happens? The widow, does the, the widow doesn't take him in right away. She says, well, I'm just making this, this last meal. I have, a, I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm going to make this last meal for, for, my husband, or for my son and I. And we're going to die. And Elijah gets some words from, from God. And he shares them with, with her. Because he knows God is going to keep his promises. He's going to keep his end of the deal. And, and he promises, he says, if, if you give me this food and give me this drink, you will not go hungry. The, the jar of oil will not be empty and neither will the pot of flour. And what happens? God does it, right? It says he does it for that. Th- it's a three and a half year span. We're not having any rain. There's c- cattle are dying. Fields are going bare. And a pot of flour and oil keeps... Uh, the widow and her son alive. But that's not, that's not where that story ends, actually. Actually, um, the, the son, in the next couple passages, uh, 17 through 24, the son dies, right? And the widow actually comes to Elijah and said, you did this. This was you. you, you why did you come here except to kill my son? She just saw, what did she just, what did she just witness? This is after time has passed. The, the flower is still in the jar, and, and the oil is still in the jar. And she comes to Elijah and says, you're the one who did this. And um, just a side note, never think you're better than an Israelite in doubt. Because they experienced, some, never, never think, oh, if I only saw a miracle, I would, I, would, I would have a better faith. How many people saw miracles in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and it didn't change them at all? The entire nation of Israel ended up being in the wilderness for 40 years after seeing the Red Sea parted and and many other and the and the, and the plagues and many other things and they still didn't believe. Um, but let's let's continue. And what does Elijah do? He doesn't he doesn't flee the scene after the sun dies and, and he gets blamed. He doesn't flee. He doesn't run away. He calmly says, "Woman, give the boy to me." And he knows, since he's living according to the words of God, God's going to take care of him. He can live in confidence. He can pray with confidence. And, and he goes on to pray with confidence. And in, in verse 21, if you join me, there's chapter 17, verse 20, 21. It says, he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray that you let this child's life return to him. And I, I love, I love the next verse. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And he listened to him. God will always hear you and he will always listen to you. But what it's saying here is he knows what Elijah's asking for and he knows what Elijah needs. He knows what he needs at that moment. He's seen this whole situation take place. Why did he let the son die in the first place? And we get the answer at the end of the the chapter in verse 24 and it says and the son was healed he raises again and we get the answer at the end of verse 24 it says now the woman said to elijah now i know that you are a man of god and that the word of the lord in your mouth is truth elijah was living in confidence and now what is the widow doing living in confidence she and it's because of elijah's praying in confidence because he's living in in the word. He's living according to the word so he can live in confidence. Now, uh, during this three-and-a-half-year um, drought, some other things continue to happen. This is probably the most famous story of Elijah in, in chapter 18, if you'll, if you'll look there. Um, he goes, and at the end of uh, verse 1 of chapter 18, he says, the, the Lord says, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So, uh, it, I don't know. About you but like I said that's a, that's a big claim to say it's not going to rain after, but after three and a half years without rain Elijah gets told now it's going to rain now it's going to rain go show yourself to Ahab and tell him it's going to rain and God has some other things worked out for Elijah to do and we see him he meets Obadiah who has actually been sent out to um, he, he's a, a man of God but he's been sent out by Ahab um, many many times to different nations to find Elijah and to actually kill him but the Lord um, worked through Obadiah and worked through Elijah, and obviously that didn't happen. And now um, he, he, brings them, he brings them before the king, and um, God speaks through Elijah and says, I challenge you to a duel, right, to the king. And it's not a duel between Elijah and King Ahab. It's not a duel between Elijah and Jezebel. It's not, uh, it's not Elijah versus Israel. Who's it, who, who are the two people involved in this duel. Who are they? And God and Baal. God and Baal. Elijah doesn't put his confidence in himself. He's not saying, I'm going to do this great thing, and you're going to come out and do this great thing. He says, no, this is, this is God versus God. He's living in confidence because he's living according to the words of God. And we, in, in skip down uh, chapter 18, verse 19. It says, Elijah's saying this and says, Now send and gather to me all Israel Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of, of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So there's 850 prophets coming out to meet one prophet in this, in this duel. And Elijah says, okay, so what we're going to do, uh, we're on Mount Carmel, and all of Israel, it says, is watching. The entire nation has come out to see who God is. And Elijah says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build two altars, and we're going to kill an ox and put, the, put, it, put it on the altar, and then we're going to see uh, whose God will send down fire from heaven and whose God is God. Whoever, whoever's God sends down fire from heaven, that, that one is God. And it's, I, I don't understand this, but the, uh, Ahab and the prophets agree to the, these terms. I don't know why you would do that, but they do. And so Elijah says, okay, you go first. You go first. And um, he knows what's going to happen. Elijah knows what's going to happen, but, and, but he knows that the prophets think they know what's going to happen. And, and they, 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 spend, they, go, they get there in the morning, and it says they, they tried to make fire come down from it. They prayed to Baal all day long they they were dancing around and 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 uh, dan- and they were dancing and they even it says they even went as far as to cut themselves as to try to awaken awaken Baal because in in the old world if if blood was spilt that would that would awaken deities and and what happens nothing nothing happens because their confidence is in the wrong place and uh, then Elijah, it's, I, I, I love Elijah for this because if you ever play a game or sports with me, you will know that I have a tendency to do a little trash talking. And what does Elijah do to the prophets? He, he mocks them. He talks trash. He says, well, maybe your God is away on a journey. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's taking a nap. And he even actually goes as far, he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's a major trash talk. And, because, and he can do that because he knows what's going to happen. His confidence is in the right place. Um, and we, if, you're, if you would follow with me, uh, 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 34, we, we're going to pick up where Elijah um, starts doing his thing. And he, he builds his altar, and then he tells the servants to fill four he says, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And water flowed around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. So this thing is soaked. Has anyone ever been camping when it's raining? Raise your hand. Anyone been camping? Is it easy to start a fire? No. Even if, it's, even if it rained like the day before or even two days before, it's hard to get a flame going. And Elijah, he doesn't care because he knows what's God, what God is going to do. He has his confidence in the right place. So he prays, I think, one of, the, one of the greatest prayers and one of the greatest outlines of a prayer to follow in verse 36 through 37. It says, At the time of the offering... Of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. And and the reason I love this outline is because Elijah is saying, Okay, God, we, we made this bargain. In the, in the beginning, in the, in the first part, whenever, whenever he became a prophet, he said, I'm, I was going to do what you say, and I'm living according to your word. That's what I've done. That's what you have called me to do. And now I need you to keep your end of the bargain. I've lived as I am supposed to. He's lived in the faithfulness and, and everything of God. He's done what he is supposed to do, and now he's saying, Okay, God, it's, it's, it's your turn. I need you here. I need you to come through. And, and God comes through pretty spectacularly. In verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. How hot does a fire have to be to lick up stones and dust and a pool of water? pretty hot. But that's our God, isn't it? He's, he always goes above and beyond. What exa- All he needed to do was to send down a little bit of, all he had to do was send fire down. He didn't have to consume the whole altar. He just had to send fire down. But instead, he shows off so that the people's hearts will be turned and that they will move their confidence from Baal back to him, like Elijah has done. But that's not the end of our, our story because we started with no rain, right? It's been our three and a half years and now our story is coming to a close. And um, if you continue to read through through the uh, other chapter, other verses of of this, you would see that um, they actually go, the entire nation of Israel realizes that these are false prophets of Baal and they go and, and, and they do away with them because they, they're like, we don't need this. They're, trying, they're, they're realizing their wickedness and they're trying to, to achieve um, the the holy standard that God has set for them. And to to end our time with Elijah, um, we're going to go to um, verse 43. And um, what Elijah has just done, he sent his servant to say, okay, go tell Ahab that it's coming. He better move. If, if, If he wants to be able to move his chariots and do his thing, he needs to move now because rain is coming. And in verse 44 or in verse 43 excuse me he tells he he's he's on the mount he's on mount carmel it says that he's elijah is on his knees with his with his face on the ground or face between his knees praying why is he praying if god has already told him what's going to happen because he still needs to ask just because you know what god's going to do god loves it when you ask let me tell you god loves it when you ask just like, just like a parent. You know how many parents their kid is thinking a good chunk of the time when they come ask you for something. When they ask you for something, you know what it is. They have that look on their face. Oh, I, I need this. But you love it when they ask, don't you? You love it when they need your help. And God's the same way. He loves it when we realize we need his help. And Elijah gets on the ground and he tells the servant, go up now and look at the sea. So he went up and looked and the servant came back and said, there's nothing. There's nothing. Elijah has just been through, through uh, the widow and through running from Ahab and, and keep being kept safe and this mighty duel on Mount Carmel and he sees nothing. Nothing's coming. It's a clear blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. Does his confidence waver? Read the end of, of 40, 43 to 44. It never wavers. He says, go back. Go back to, he keeps telling the servant, go back, go back, go back. Seven times he tells him to go back and look. Seven. After God has already promised him that rain's coming. It takes, for some reason, it takes seven times. But Elijah's confidence here never wavers. He never starts complaining to God. He never starts crying out, oh, why did I get in this mess? Rain's not coming. No, his confidence does not waver here. And on the seventh time, he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. Cloud this big, the servant saw. Cloud this big from a long way off. And Elijah said, all right, rain's coming. Here it comes. Get ready. His confidence never wavers. And that's the As I said, that's the first thing I want to encourage you in this new year. Pray with confidence. God's going to do wonderful things through you when you're living in his word. Just like Elijah. Uh, Secondly, um, we're actually going to flip all the way to the New Testament. If you join me in the book of Colossians, jump to the book of Colossians. I know it's unusual to be going through um, so many passages, but um, in preparation I couldn't really pick just one because I loved them each so much. So join me in the book of Colossians, and um, we know the book of Colossians was written by Paul, and he actually never never went to the church in Colossae. He had just gotten reports back from the guys who had planted the church, and um, they were dealing with with some heresy and some um, some lack of lack of gratitude and some other things that Paul wants to help them correct because they know who Paul is, and they and he they know uh, he's they're going to listen to him. And Paul outlines in each chapter a very, very subtle and beautiful way we are supposed to pray. And the way he wants the church in Colossae to pray. And um, join me if you would. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 12. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Give thanks to the Father. Who has qualified us? You have been qualified if you are a believer in Christ, not by anything you've done, not by anything this church can do, not by anything anyone else can do for you, except the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. When uh, do I have any NASCAR fans in here? Anyone like NASCAR? Nobody likes NASCAR. Okay. Um, when before the races, what do you have to run? What do you have to run? In what do you have to run? A qualifier. Jesus ran your qualifier. He did it for you and he did it for me so that we could be qualified. You can always, I don't care what situation you're in in life, you can always be thankful that you have been qualified. That's so special. I couldn't do anything to qualify myself to believe in Jesus. I couldn't. Pastor Cody couldn't. None of us could, even if we all worked together, get one person qualified, we couldn't do it. But God could, and he did. He qualified you, and he qualified me. And that's so special. Always be thankful that he qualified you. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving, especially that he qualified you. Next, uh, we're going to go to chapter 2 of Colossians. So turn to chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says therefore as you you have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. You've been qualified but you also have a great faith. I I I pray for I pray for you guys that it never wavers. Be thankful that you have a... It's, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have this faith. Don't, don't quelch it. Don't get rid of it. Keep it. Hold on to it. Cling to it. And be thankful for it. You have a God-given faith. It's so special. It's so special. And, and it's something we get to share together. If you turn, go ahead and turn to Colossians 3. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. We have, we've been qualified, and we have faith. Both of them are God-given. And there's a third thing we can be thankful for. We can pray with thanksgiving in verses 14 and 15. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful you've been qualified. Be thankful you have faith. And be thankful you can share it with people sitting next to you right now. Be thankful for your church body. Are you thankful for your church body? Are you thankful for your pastors and for your elders and and for um, the people who work on the building and people who prepare baby showers and, and people who help go out and rake other people's yards or plan men's retreats and all those things? Are you thankful today for those people? Um, it is easy to not be thankful for those people. It is easy to make a joke about someone putting up the wrong slide in church. It is easy to make a passing remark about the paint color in the kitchen. It is easy to get in quabbles over anything that is not this. Let me tell you, if, if it's not a quabble about something that's in this, if you don't have a problem with something that's in this, is it worth talking about? I'm sorry, I'm going to ask that again. Is it worth talking about? No, it's not. It's not, it's not even worth the discussion to, to, to tear down in that way. Be thankful for your church body. Be thankful you have brothers and sisters next to you who have been qualified, who have faith, and who love you dearly. You've been unified in the love of Christ. Live like it. Live like it. Lastly in Colossians, turn to to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse verse 2. This is probably, out out of the four things I found in Colossians, this is probably the hardest for me to really really grasp and apply to my own life. Um, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Pay attention to what God is doing and be thankful for it. Has anyone seen God move this week? Go ahead and raise your hand. Anyone seen God move this week? Be thankful for it. Keep alert to it. Something has happened. Everyone should have raised their hands just now. Pay attention... To what God has done in your life. And be thankful for it. Praying for it always. Be thankful for what God has done and is doing right now. He's doing great things. We might not see him right now. Be thankful for him. You might not see him for a long time. But be thankful for him. You might get to see him right away. And what a treat that is. When a prayer gets answered so quickly. What a treat. Be thankful for what God is doing right now. Uh, we're going to close um, in John 17. If you would turn there, John chapter uh, 17. This is um, one of the greatest, I would say, one of the greatest passages in Scripture um, as far as prayer goes. It's its called the High Priestly Prayer. And Jesus is praying this right before actually he gets betrayed by Judas. He's praying. He's There's some very rich, rich theology. And um, if you ask Cody, we could probably spend almost an entire year In this chapter. Let alone the book of John. We could spend a whole year in this chapter. But I I picked out some things. That Christ. Does. That is so special. Uh, As I said. He's he's praying this right before. He's going to the cross. He's praying this right before. Judas actually betrays him. The next next heading in, in chapter 18 says. Judas betrays Jesus. This is right before. And Jesus takes time to pray. Many many times actually. And. Does he pray for himself in this, in this, in the, right before Judas portrays him? Do you know who he prays for? He prays for you and me. Think about that. Right before going to the cross, right before enduring a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, he prays for you and for me. One of the greatest things to know is that someone is praying for you. Isn't it? It's such a blessing. And I, I just want to brag on one of, my, one of my friends real quick. The greatest ministry to me since I've been here in at Maranatha in these past five months is sitting in that corner right there. Val, would you raise your hand, please? I know she doesn't like attention. Do you know what Val says to me every time she sees me? I'm praying for you. Every time she sees me. That's what she tells me. She, put, she gives me a hug, and I know she tells that to the other pastors too. That is the greatest ministry to me since I've been here, and the greatest ministry, I would say, probably of this church is that we have at least one woman who is boldly praying for her pastors. We need it, let me tell you. It's such a great ministry. Pray, and that's, that's the last thing I want to encourage you to do is to pray selflessly. I'm not saying don't, don't pray for things you need. Pray for those things. Jesus does. That's how he opens this chapter. He says, okay, I'm, I'm going to the cross, and, I need, and I, need, I need this, and I need this. But then he goes in and prays for you and for me right before enduring a bunch of junk that he didn't deserve. And there's, there's, there's three things here that I want to share that you can pray, that Jesus prayed for you. And I want you to pray for other people, Okay? Pray pray this for other people. So chapter 17, verse 13. John 17, verse 13, and he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in, in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. He prays that you and I and the disciples would have the joy of Christ. Pray that for those around you. Pray that for the person sitting next to you. The joy of, when you, when you really experience the joy of Christ, it can never be quenched, can it? It can never be taken away from you. You will always experience that, even, even when it's hard. It's going to get hard, let me tell you. It's going to get hard sometimes in this life. But, but cling to that joy of Christ and pray for it for other people, for those going through a hard time, and especially those going through a good time. Because things change very quickly in this world. Pray that they would cling to the joy of Christ and that they would, they would experience that to the full. Secondly, in, in John, uh, go, to, go to verse 15. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He prays for their spiritual protection. For their spiritual protection protection we often pray as we're traveling right we pray for traveling mercies that we'd be safe physically when was the last time that you prayed that someone would be kept safe spiritually it's far more important I, and, and that's one thing uh, us pastors, we, we pray for on a weekly basis, is that our congregation, that you guys would be kept safe spiritually, that you would come in each week and enjoy such great fellowship, and then that would carry you almost to the next Sunday. That, that joyful experience of fellowship would not, would not go away, that you would be encouraged spiritually, and that you would stay safe spiritually. Thirdly, um, let's go to chapter or to verse 17 of chapter 17. He says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The, the, really, the last thing he asks for is that those that have been given into his hand are drawn close to him. It says in verse, uh, in verse in 21 that he's asking on behalf of all that the Father, of all of the people that the Father has placed in his hands. Pray that those around you, for your kids, your I don't care who it is, pray that they would, they would be brought close to Christ. There's no greater, and that's how you experience that joy, being brought close to him. Pray selflessly. Um, I want to share with you in closing just a, a quick story um, to again brag on a fellow believer. I'm going to brag on my mom real quick. Uh, my mom is probably probably the greatest consistent prayer that I know of um, every morning uh, she has she has her routine she she wakes up, she takes a shower, she sits on her bed, and as she 's putting on her makeup for the day, she writes out a list and prays through that list of of people and things that need prayer every day i can i, I someday um, after, uh, in, in a, you know, 50 years or whatever, I would love to go through our house and find all the little notebooks that she has filled up. And um, one in particular that has been in every notebook that I can remember has been a name. Uh, Brandon. And he is my cousin. He's my oldest cousin. I'm the youngest cousin on my mom's side. He's the oldest. We actually have the same birthday. Um, he is 37, I think 36 or 37 years old. And he has been on that list, on that paper, for 37 years. That he would know the love of Christ. And my mom's, my mom's confidence in that 37 years, I've never seen it waver. I've never seen it waver. And I've never seen her not be thankful when, when God does something. Especially in Brandon's life. She always gives thanks to God. And she is always selflessly praying for him. That he would know the love of Christ. For 37 years. She's been praying for that. Brandon has been in and out of rehab. He's been in and out of, out of jail. He's been um, kicked out of, of um, uh, apartments and many different things. And um, I, am, I am pleased to say that Brandon, when we visit, now takes us to church. Thirty. It was about 36 years, 36 years every day on her knees praying for him. Her confidence never wavered. She was always thankful for when God would move in his life, and she was selflessly praying for him. And those are the three things as we go into uh, 2021, this new year. Pray with confidence when you're living in the Word of God, you can pray with confidence. You can enter that throne room boldly and ask anything you need of God. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray, keep your eyes open to what God is doing around you and also what God has done. In, in the Old Testament, the number one referenced thing that, is, that, that the Israelites are thankful for is the Red Sea being parted. That's, like almost, that's, that's almost at the beginning of their history. And it keeps up throughout. Be thankful for what God has done. And pray selflessly. Pray for those around you that they would know the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can enter that throne room boldly. That we, that we don't have to knock when we come into your house. We can just open the door and you're there waiting for us to hear what we have to say. I pray as, as we enter this, this new year, that we would continue to enter that throne room boldly and that we would be be truly thankful for for what you have for us each day in our lives. And I also pray that we would be devoted to prayer, praying selflessly for those around us and what they need, keeping them safe spiritually and bringing, bringing them close to you, Father. We pray for that. We thank you, Um, for our church body and thank you for the sweet fellowship that we've had this morning in jesus name amen
0: please stand and join us